I'm sort of paranoid. There's an army of slugs trying to take over the world, and my brother's one of them. A controller. You ever hear this saying that human beings are reluctant to change? I guess they've never met any of my friends before. If you want to save the world, you have to change. When it comes to the Yerks, all we know is that they're trying to destroy us. Everyone we know and our planet. But we're a threat to them. Five teenagers. I know my friends and I can save Tom. I'm going to use Elfango's gift. The power to morph. I realize what's at stake here. It's the total ruin of our planet by the Yerks. And it's scary. Every time I do something, I get a little stronger and I get smarter. I'm scared too. But fear doesn't stop me. Because I'm more afraid of what will happen if I don't do anything. And when I morphed into the tiger, you know, I wasn't afraid for a second. No Yerk was going to stand in my way. Feeling like the tigers changed me, you know, made me confident and stronger. I'm not as afraid anymore. Welcome to ThoughtSpeak, a podcast dedicated to the weekly discussion of Kay Applegate's 1996 book series, Animorphs. My name is Coleman. And my name is Mitchell. Wow, non-Megamorphs episode. If the Animorphs continuity were considered to be, you know, broken up into television seasons, this would be a fine start for season two. After after doing a Megamorphs episode, it's just like, it does feel like we've hit a season finale, and we're going into a new phase of both the books and the podcast. Yeah, and fittingly, this is the uh, first Axe book we're going to be talking tonight, as uh, Axe officially joins the Animorphs. I wonder if they debated that on whether they should do an axe book or not. I think they wanted to get in a good round of, you know, most of the kids. Um, you know, everybody gets their own book and Jake and Rachel get two books. So that's that's a lot of character development before adding in another alien. Well, I'm glad we got here. So we'll we'll review that and talk about that later in the show. But first, we have a couple other things for you. But first, I want to tell you and everybody else about uh, a service that I found on Reddit. Somebody posted this uh, on one subreddit. It's uh, a service called Peak that um, reviews websites that you submit to them. And they give you back a short, uh, I think, five-minute video of somebody reviewing uh, whatever website you sent them. And, of course, me being me... I had to send in our website, ThoughtSpeakCast.com, and see what they would say about that. And uh, I didn't know this, but I guess all the reviews are from users, like random users. And so, as luck would have it, uh, we had an old lady end up reviewing our site who knew nothing about Animorphs or podcasts. But um, the good news is, I I think she liked the website. (laughs) Yeah, it was... One of the funniest things I've ever watched. Uh, she's trying to pronounce the word Animorphs. It takes her probably about six or seven minutes into her review to figure out it's a podcast dedicated website. Yeah, uh, and she, she had no idea what podcasts a, are. Yeah, that's based on a book series. So once she figured out those things, it all clicked and came together. But 
her pronunciations alone uh, were really funny. Right. Yeah. I don't know how she got anamorphite out of out of any of this, but <laughs> she just made it up. She uh, she looks around our website a little bit, um, and the video is kind of kind of funny. If you want to hear some old lady who knows nothing about anamorphs, try and try and figure out what it is. <laughs> um, so I, I think I'm going to try and include a link to the video somehow on our on our site, so you can check that out. So in other news, uh, we were told on Twitter uh, about the news that Kay Applegate's award-winning book, the one and only Ivan, uh, the rights to film that have been bought up by Disney. So we might be actually seeing some Kay Applegate written works on the uh, silver screen sometime, probably in the next few years. Really? If Interesting. They decide to, yeah, if they decide to move forward with it. But I have not read the book. Neither have I. I don't know too much about it other than the cover has like an elephant and a gorilla on the front. Yeah, I, I believe it's about an elephant and a gorilla forging some sort of friendship in a zoo. It is a heartfelt story about Rachel and Marco and Morph. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> the after <laughs> years. This is, this is really what happened. <laughs> the Animorph crew. <laughs> yeah, so uh, Marco and Rachel join a circus and uh, you know, they're the only ones left. Spoilers for the end of the Animorphs series. Uh, well, that that is awesome. I, you know, Kay Applegate has written so much. I'm so surprised that we haven't seen anything of hers end up on the big screen just yet. Well, if she got, if she got uber famous as far as books and movies and tons of things, um, that that could only benefit Animorphs because just like when uh, J.K. Rowling got you know into the upper echelon of fame, they started scrounging through her library and and written works to see what the next big thing could be from her so well you know there the hollywood seems to be all about building big franchises these days and animorphs could be a film franchise that you know gives them the seven eight nine movies that they'd want out of a big series like that what do you think in hollywood you have 54 movies lined up right here exactly <laughs> just take the most critical plots to the overall continuity, and, you know, there's your movies. No, no, I'm saying the complete opposite. They want to make seven or eight... They think making seven or eight movies that do well is a big deal. Let's make 54 Animorphs movies. <laughs> totally unnecessary, and I think the best medium is animation, but uh, we're not going to get into Why that Why do right people now. keep saying that? I 100% disagree that animation would be best for this. You do <sighs> vehemently i'm all for animation no no no. i'm all for animation i love animation i love anime i love uh you know just regular american cartoons that are more serious but animorphs is they had it right they need to do either a movie or a live action television show they need a bigger budget no they They don't need a bigger budget i think the only way it could work as as a film series is if they give it enough films to make the series really count and uh, I still got to say, animation, I think, is the best way to go. That's the way we'll get the most out of it. I just don't want an animated Animorphs television show. I just can't see them doing that well enough or doing it realistic enough. Because I think the tone would be off. Because I don't think that the tone of animation has to be wacky or silly. Are, are you saying the, the tone of uh, Legend of Korra just doesn't work? No, that works fine. But it wouldn't work for this. Legend of Korra is great. Because it's like you're hearing some legendary tale, and, and same thing with Avatar, The Last Airbender. But with Animorphs, that what sells the books 
is them sitting around in their barn and it's a normal barn it's it's naturalistic lighting it's 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 kids it's teenagers you sell Dude, it, it could totally happen with it. animation but this is not no. the time to talk about this why because we've argued about it constantly on this show oh have we uh yeah i'm, I'm fairly certain i think even in our first episode we got into a big debate over you prefer live action i prefer animation that's that's the argument i don't prefer either one just for this though. you want it and you don't even know who cares for this for animal <laughs> specifically i think it needs to be live action well okay uh let's ag- ag- agree to disagree i have i have my book open to uh a little survey that's in the back of book eight it's included it says uh what do you think hey you guys we want to hear what you think about animorphs just answer the questions below fill in your name and address and then send it in blah 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 we're not going to do that but i thought it would be fun to go through the little 11 questions and uh just kind of give them our quick answers some of them we've already talked about in fact like question number one how did you first find out about animorphs i think you and i both said elementary school yeah we've done that one enough yeah school book fair uh number two though who is your favorite character i i think both of us have also said who our favorite characters are should we say it on the count of three <laughs> no 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 it. you go first who, who's your favorite character uh i'm gonna go with marco it, it's probably the obvious choice yeah i mean i think i think tobias is the most interesting character by far i i would say marco tobias and axe in any order <laughs> You know what, though? I I can go ahead and I can give it up for Jake because while he doesn't have a ton of crazy twists and turns to his character as far as, like, his character, uh, who he is and stuff, um, he is constantly, you know, throwing down the mantle of leadership. Yeah, that's why Jake's story is, is really interesting. It's because, you know, he does have that leadership role to fill out and he's got to be the one who's always thinking critically and you know murdering innocence <laughs> yeah i think jake becomes the most interesting character uh post the first quarter of book 54 yeah like after you know in the future he's the most interesting character well i'm sorry coleman question number two is just simply who is your favorite character so pick one i'm gonna go with tobias Tobias. I'll uh, check that mark. You're a Tobias. Well, you are the one who wanted to to ship Jake and Tobias, so I could see how he'd be your favorite. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't want to ship that. I just thought it would be an interesting twist in K. Applegate's nature. Question number three. Which of these characters do you like reading about most? And the list includes Hork Bajir, Taxons, Yerks, Visor 3, and other. <laughs> how are any of those even related? I don't know. Because, well, it's like saying which, which of these characters, like... Are your, are your favorites. Um, but I mean, saying like Visor 3 and then races, there's like different races and then just Visor 3. Well, because Visor 3's, you know, he, he's a Yurk and an Andalite body. He's the only one. So he is kind of in a <laughs> class of his own. Um, it seems like the question is, you know, which of these aliens do you most like reading about? And um, I guess I would just say Yurks, just in general, the whole concept of the Yurks. I'm going to go other and say Andalites. I I would love to hear even more about their culture and the nitty-gritty of their day-to-day. Oh, you will. You will. Uh... No, I don't think we ever get into their, like, modern homeworld lifestyle. Not entirely. We see a little bit of it in Andalite Chronicles, but, yeah, it, they never fully delve into it. 
Um, number four, which is your favorite book? And then it just lists the books one through seven so far. Out of those ones, which one's your favorite? Uh, it's a tie between the capture and the invasion. Really? Yeah. There's nothing that says you can't check more than one thing, so I'm checking both those. Yeah, you know, I I would agree with you, and I would say, I don't know, I kind of also put the Predator up up in there. Predator was good, but it's like favorite iconic book. Yeah, the first and the sixth. Yeah, I would probably go as far as to say number one out of out of all the all seven that they list here. Number one is the only one I could say for sure. Yeah, I feel like that's my favorite. Although I did technically in in episode six say that the capture was my favorite, so now I'm a hypocrite. Yeah, <laughs> Mr. Foot Flopper over here. Why can't you give us a straight answer? <laughs> Uh, moving yeah. on, which of these magazines do you like to read? <laughs> <laughs> Coleman here reads Girl, Teen Beat, and Sassy, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah, the options are Nickelodeon Magazine. Uh, is that Sports Illustrated for kids? Yeah, SI probably? for kids. Highlights, Boys Life, Girl, Teen Beat, uh, Yerk Mother? Why <laughs> am? What is that? Um, Youth Murdering. Masters? <laughs> <laughs> I don't. I have no this, idea what sassy is. I want to answer this sassy. first, and actually, I'm gonna go other. Um, do you remember Disney's Adventures Monthly? Oh, I thought you were gonna say other. You know, a magazine that you actually read, but you're you're going still back in the day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, my other would have been Disney's Adventure magazines. It was like a little magazine that came monthly. It was actually about the size of these Animorphs books. And they had just all sorts of cool stuff Disney-related in it. But they always had, like, comics and stuff, too. That's how I read um, uh, Bone. Have you ever Mm -mm. read Bone? Nope. Well, Bone was a really good comic, and uh, that's the only way I would have been exposed to it, is reading it in Disney Adventures magazines. Hmm. I'd say during the time that Animorphs were coming out in middle school, uh, I actually had a subscription to GamePro. So that would be mine. Is I had a ton of video game magazines back in the day. Probably Nintendo Power and Game Pro. Probably had subscriptions to both. Nice. Uh, question six: Which of these book series do you read? And the list includes Goosebumps, Sweet Valley Twins, Babysitters Club, Fear Street, and other. And I will just go ahead and say the only one I actually read here was Goosebumps. Yeah, read a ton of Goosebumps. Um, number seven, where did you get your most recent Animorphs book? Not included on the list here. Uh, <laughs> half, half price, price books. books. <laughs> yeah, I bought one from Half Price Books uh, yesterday, so. Uh, I got my last Animorph book at the supermarket. One of the options. Oh, oh yeah, yeah. This kind of just goes to show, though, how popular the book series was. Yeah, a lot of options. Public library and supermarket, uh, just because I got book 54 in a supermarket. I don't know why it was popular enough to be in like a grocery store but it was the 90s man how do you buy your animorphs books well generally with money um... <laughs> no in numerical order only the most recent titles are based on the cover design uh what kind of, what kind of terrible kids are like picking out books uh for at least in the animorphs books after having already read some of them uh, i don't know it's weird designs. because i I definitely had books that I know that I didn't read because they didn't sound interesting enough because they didn't sound like they added to the overall story, but I still bought them. You are choosing them based on cover design. No, no, no. I, I, I was buying them in numerical order 
regardless of whether I plan to read the book or not. Or I guess I should say I was having my dad buy them, even knowing I wasn't going to read them. <laughs> <laughs> I, I would say in numerical order now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, me too. Do you know about the Animorphs website at scholastic.com slash Animorphs? No, I, wow. I didn't. You can tell this is at the early times of the internet when they put the entire HTTP and everything in there. Yeah, it's, it's um, like the a printed whole book that you can't click on. I'm sure I, I did know about the website, but I mean, it's, you know, a pretty bare website, or at least it was in 1997. No, I don't think I, I don't think I actually did anything on the internet in 97. <laughs> well, that answers question 10 here, then. If so, how often do you visit the Animorphs website? I'm going to go ahead and say never. Never. I played games on my computer, but I can't even, like, the first websites I got onto, I know Penny Arcade was one of them. And, you know, a few others. I don't know. Huh. Well, Definitely not the Animorphs one. Uh, the last question, number 11, is uh, how many Animorphs books have you read? And we've both talked about this, and we don't have an exact number. And uh, no. I don't think now is the time to pause the show and count them all up. So we're going to ignore that one. <laughs> yep. <sighs> okay, well... With all that said and done, let's move into our review of Book 8, The Alien. I know I'm human. If you were all these things, then you'd just attack me right now. So some of you are still human. This thing doesn't want to show itself. It wants to hide inside an imitation. It'll fight if it has to. But it's vulnerable out in the open. If it takes us over, then it has no more enemies. Nobody left to kill it. And then it's won. All right, so as we said, we are reviewing today book eight, The Alien. The front cover design. The front cover of this book is our first real depiction of Axe, which is pretty wacky. I mean, uh, I never agreed with their version of his stock eyes. Well, if you, uh, if you grab the next Axe book, you can actually see that they changed the design for the uh, stock eyes. They... they... Originally had them depicted here kind of ribbed, it looks like, but they uh, went with a much flatter design in later depictions. For your pleasure. And I'm not so sure they got the uh, the tail blade right, too. It looks like they uh, also did a kind of a ribbed design on the end there as well, which I don't have the next Axe book in front of me right now. I can't check to yeah. see if they altered that as well, but they definitely altered the stock eyes. And I don't, I don't like how curved his uh, tail blade is. It's like over curved. It's like a claw on a foot or something. Yeah, yeah, it really does. It looks more like a talon, I guess. You would get that stuck on everything you tried to cut in half. Well, and you know, they specifically say that they he holds the blade against people's throat and stuff. It looks more like a horn. Is kind of what I'm noticing. It looks more like a horn than a blade. Either way, Andalites need a redesign. <laughs> 
Already not impressed. Yeah. And then the inside uh, you know, art picture that, you know, you can see through the cover uh, is just Axe hanging out in a hallway at school with zero, you know, with no other people there at all. And he's got books and he's like, it's just, I don't, I don't know what's going on here. I don't know what their intention was. <laughs> yeah, well, this is a scene from later, kind of, sort of. Yeah, except with no other person. Or Why do I keep saying that? With no with no other people. Yeah, around, he's the only person there. I'm assuming it, the picture is kind of from Jake's perspective. Like, if, you know, this is Jake showing him around school. I just don't understand why they take such awkward photos of, like, their stance. Like, every single photo they take of these kids is them in the most awkward position possible. <laughs> they really do arrange them kind of strangely. Here's something though. Um look at how uh look at how much space Axe takes up there and then look at how wide the hallway really is. I mean, this is like a two-person hallway if you think about it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And honestly, come on. If you wanted to go for uh, dramatic effect, you would have the vice principal's office behind him. Oh yeah. The, uh, yeah. principals. But anyway, well, I am going to uh, go ahead and read the back of the book and start us off. What would you do if you were the only alien trapped on a strange planet? Probably freak out, right? But as an Andalite warrior cadet, Axe has to be pretty cool about stuff like that. He's been hanging with the Animorphs ever since the dome ship was destroyed by the Yurks, and his brother, Prince Elfangor, was destroyed by Visitor 3. Life on Earth is pretty different for Axe. But there is one thing he, Cassie, Marco, Jake, Rachel, and Tobias have in common. Something that one alien, four kids, and a hawk know they have to do. Stop the Yerks. <laughs> so that summary doesn't tell you at all what this book is about. <laughs> Not even close. I mean, a lot of them don't, but that I mean, this is like ridiculous. the overall theme of the book, I guess. Really? Yeah. I mean, it's kind of, it touches on some of the act stuff and what he's dealing with, but not plot no um yeah they they leave out most of what this book is about really um one cool thing though is that there's a bookmark inside with a little quote from x that says uh bookmarks are not to be eaten though they taste quite good neither of us have the bookmarks but i'm told that they have a uh little kind of removable bite taken out of it that you can uh, pull off to make it look like you know x chomped on it why um, you know, just to continue the running joke that Axe likes eating things. Things that he oftentimes should not. <laughs> they make him out to be like some kind of grazing animal. Well, I guess he is a grazing animal, but like <laughs> cow. Like some cow or something. Yeah, this like, is... Eat uh, your book if you watch out. This is the book, by the way, that we, we do get the whole um, big mystery of how Andalites eat solved. No, we don't. That's, that's the problem. Doesn't he, uh... Oh, sorry, no, the Andalites, or not the Andalites, the Animorphs don't get it solved, but we do. No, he, he tells them at the end, at the very end. Oh, oh yeah, he does go. <laughs> but he kind of, he's still pretty vague about it. He doesn't, like, flat out just say exactly how it works. Well, he gives you the explanation that, that you need. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, he's not, you know, showing them an Andalite anatomy book, but... And uh, as our Axe book, our first ever Axe book, that's largely what the story is about, is uh, Axe, you know, trying to stick to his Andalite ways and still be part of the Animorphs team. And uh, his eventual uh, realization that, you know, he's got to join them. <laughs> yeah. So let's jump right into it. Uh, as we said, this is the, you know, 
the different it's kind of a different book from the others and how it's structured and the there's these little diary segments at the beginning of every chapter which is pretty interesting they're in insert diary which is strange because apparently these animorph books themselves are diaries left by the animorphs for others to read yeah it's got sub diaries yep i don't know how the the diary continuity here is uh supposed to work but i i think it's primarily just for the reader's enjoyment i have a theory <laughs> what is it sir um my theory for these sub diaries is that he wrote one set of notes and diaries for himself which is what we're reading as the animorph book and then he wrote another set explaining humanity to uh andalites so it's like research notes Oh, um, yeah, yeah, that would make sense. Yeah. So that, that would make sense. Um, that's what I think. This book starts off a little bit differently because Axe actually gets his own prologue chapter um, that's just about his time with Elfengor and the rest of the Andalites on the, on the Andalite dome ship before it, you know, crashed from the sky and into Earth's ocean. And um, it's it's kind of neat. I, I didn't think it was entirely necessary. Well, it's kind of... It's kind of cool to see, um, it's our first instance of seeing Axe, where he's not this lofty Andalite who's telling everybody what things are and how they should be. He's 100% a kid in this scene, and treated like one. Yeah, oh, definitely. God, they treat him like crap. <laughs> yeah. Um, and and another thing, this, uh, this prologue recap kind of serves to do here is just to establish the fact that Axe is uh, kind of out to get Visor 3. Which is another not really theme. I mean, that's, the, that's the plot of this book. <laughs> yeah, oh yeah. It lets you know right away, man. He is dead set on murdering Visor 3. That's like <laughs> all he's about at this point. Yeah, which I thought it was strange. Um, and I mentioned this to you the other day. That Andalites are a pretty advanced race. Much, much more advanced than humans. Yet culturally... They still expect revenge for someone being murdered. I don't. It just seems weird to me. It seems weird to me that they would be such an advanced culture and the concept of like expected revenge, like this were Barcelona. Oh, it's it's ritualistic. Revenge, man. Yeah, it's, yeah. It's it's pretty fanatical, kind of. Um, well, I, I mean, they're they're an honor bound society and and people, and I think that's like. One of the weirdest, most extreme so cases Japan, of So Japan, but they don't still behead people. <laughs> <laughs> that you know of. <laughs> so after the, the, the prologue, you know, it, it just covers everything from how everything went down before uh, Elfengor's death and axes plummet into the sea. Yeah, and then we get a more normal recap of Axe, you know, just like all the rest of the books, he's telling us what's going on the yurks are here they're invading he can tell us his last name though that's the only difference um the team is is getting together once again uh probably in the edge of a forest somewhere that borders the mall because <laughs> they're they're going to take axe to see a movie that's their plan they want to they want to include him and uh kind of teach him about humans and since he's going to be living there so long you know it, it makes sense that he would really need to learn as much as he can about humans yeah and marco's kind of hesitant about it I and mean, he's obviously 
he's the most pragmatic of them in general. Uh, but Jake's not having any of it. Well, there are, there are a lot of <laughs> factors here of, of Axe going to see a movie. It's it's you know figuring out how they're going to morph him and how long you know it takes to do everything, and they just have a huge elaborate plan for getting him into the movie theater. Um, with with starts as him morphing human, of course. And once again, we get everybody talking about how Axe looks just like him. Which I wonder if he could control, you know, which aspects he's morphing of each person. Because later in this very book, he morphs just Jake. You think he can morph just Marco and just Rachel? No, because he, he acquires a Jake morph. I think it's when you acquire is when you can discern things like that. Like, he he acquires his normal human morph by the you know the scene where he went one by one and took them all and he combined them when he acquired them uh and then later yeah but i don't really care for that explanation (laughs) well in book six uh he acquires jake just by himself remember uh yeah he did reacquire him didn't he yeah so obviously those are two separate morphs in this universe Uh, well so i don't think he can change his morph once he's acquired it Either way, every time he morphs human, the characters are going to point out the similarities. Every single time. (laughs) Um, And like you were saying, you know, Marco raises some concerns uh, about this particular mission and how risky and stupid it kind of is, just for the sake of letting Axe watch a movie. But Jake is pretty insistent that they've they've, they've beaten the Yurks enough to deserve a break, finally, from running crazy missions. And, uh, of course, educate Axe about humanity. And um, they dress him up, kind of dorky. <coughs> who's who's in charge of that? Rachel? You would think. Um, but they still make fun of him about it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. They say he looks like uh, somebody that would get picked on. And uh, it's kind of nice because we get a little friendship speech, sort of. They, they do a lot of friendship speeches in this book, by the way. Yeah, but more it's more unfriendship speeches later on. Well, some of the Animorphs are picking on him, and I think Cassie even mentions that he looks cute. And uh, Jake is quick to point out, you know, you're our friend, and if anybody tries picking on you, we'll beat him up. <laughs> it's funny, uh, one of my notes here uh, was that Axe is talking, I'm pretty sure it's here that it is. Anyway, um... X is talking about how, when he's talking about his, uh, the friend, you know, when he's talking about the other Animorphs, uh, he talks about how they've been described to him as Rachel is beautiful and Marco is cute. But he says when he morphs into human, oh yeah, yeah, he can totally see that Rachel's, you know, she's a cute girl or whatever. He, he thinks of himself. So when he goes human, he starts becoming attracted to Rachel. But he still doesn't understand why people think uh, Marco is cute. So, it's <laughs> a little biology uh thing from k applegate well if all of the animorphs are straight then it would make sense that he would morph a straight human <laughs> yeah it's just funny his uh, his outside observations on it uh or he do they not and they have genders uh in the andalite culture so i don't know why he's so confused by that <laughs> i guess they do but we don't know the difference between andalite genders it could be something crazy <laughs> it's uh, I don't know. It's, I find out their tail blades are actually their genitalia. <laughs> I was almost going to suggest uh, like like an avatar with the the hair things. 
hair connectors. Hair things. Oh, oh, you mean Avatar, the the movie Avatar? Yes, not the last oh. Airbender. <laughs> the first one I equate to it. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, we, we had no idea. But I thought that was funny that um, once he turns into a teenage male, he's like, "Hey, Rachel, how you doing?" <laughs> Uh, the the team gets him to the movie theater, surprisingly, with very little complications. And uh, while in the movie, X just doesn't understand the concept of a movie trailer, which is kind of a funny part of the book. Yeah, and, and this this goes about as well as you'd expect. I mean, it just I don't even know why they take Axe to the mall for any activity anymore. No, it goes I, the exact I, same way. <laughs> I, I was just going to say that, you know, knowing what they know about Axe, Marco still gives him some popcorn, and that just gets him, you know, insane. It, it makes him crazy. And I don't know how the Animorphs are so bad at keeping track of him. The first time they took him to the mall, it seems like they just straight up ignore him, and then he's gone, you know? Like, how how are they not just constantly having eyes on him? Because as soon as the movie starts and the theater gets dark... X starts crawling around on the floor uh, looking for food and other items to shove in his mouth and uh, generally just kind of annoying people. And it takes him a good five, ten minutes to realize that he's doing this. <laughs> well, I think it's like uh, it's like when you have a kid. Like, I've noticed this with my brother and his new kid and stuff. Um, you don't get a lot of free time to yourself when you're hanging out with your kid. So anytime that you can just put him in a safe place and watch a movie or do something for yourself. I think they took him to this movie theater. Maybe this is like Independence Day or something, like something they've been waiting forever for, uh, this movie. And so they took Axe to it because they wanted him to have the experience, but they wanted to watch the damn movie. So they put him in his seat and then started watching the movie. Yeah, but dude, how... (laughs) Why would they not be, like, surrounding him, first off, all sitting together? Or actually, I think it's just just Marco, him, and maybe Jake in there. Uh, I think they say that Cassie and Rachel are running... Security or something. Marco and Jake wanted to hold hands. (laughs) But I mean, you know, if that were you and I trying to take Axe to this thing, it would be me, my seat, Axe in the middle, and then you on the other side. There's no way he's getting out of our sight. Yet somehow it it constantly happens to these kids. (laughs) Or, you know, maybe they just didn't know what he was doing. Because at first it might might maybe look like he was like tying his shoe or something, and then he's like crawling across the ground. Well, he starts working his way up and down aisles. He's disturbing people. People are shouting, you know, keep away from me, freak, and all this stuff. And yet the animals are nowhere to be found until he actually finds a a small child with a a bag of candy. And, you know, he, he... asks the child for the candy and the mom is freaking out and the kid's freaking out and only then do the Animorphs have to come and actually pull him away and take him out of the movie. So I'd say they got through maybe... Well, actually, I'm, I'm kind of surprised they got through the, all the trailers. <laughs> I don't know if they did. They, they might not have. Well, I, I know they at least sat through one trailer and then the movie started, so I would assume that they saw a couple of trailers. Hmm. Well, anyway. Point is, they're terrible axe wranglers. <laughs> yeah. Well, as they are exiting the mall and leaving, and it's a disaster of a movie-going experience, uh, Tobias calls down to him and says, hey, be careful about going around this corner. <laughs> uh, some guy's flipping out. Yeah, and he mentions, I think, that the cops are even on the way. And, uh, oh, yes, he also mentions that the, the man is screaming, in particular, about Yerks. 
Uh, so that obviously gets their attention, and they run right over there well, even after being warned no, by the, Tobias. Uh, the, the man comes around the corner, and uh, you know he's screaming about Yerks and causing a huge scene, and this gets the uh, team pretty pretty excited that one of the controllers is finally having a Yerk die. And then this this really makes me wonder. This is kind of a uh, a reoccurring thing throughout the plot of the book, and um, why are these Yerks knowing that they're they're going to die? Probably within you know the hour they can tell when they're going to die. Why are they still walking around out in public? Why is the next Yerk who dies trying to teach a class? <laughs> <laughs> why would well, they do this if they know they're they're about to die? This is uh, this being... is a big problem with this book. Well, no, no. If they're being rationed. Okay, say they're being rationed on Kendra and Arrays, all right? And maybe the big transport section, or, or maybe the way to get up to the Yerk Pool ship where they can get Kendra and Arrays, maybe that's only, the only access to that is at the Yerk Pool itself. Maybe that's where the ships are taken off from or, or leaving from, or they have some other system. Because each of these Yerks that flip out, they've been near entrances to the Yerk Pool. The school, the mall, you know, these are known entrances. So maybe there's some something that they're waiting for nearby. So they're just going about their day and trying to stay in proximity to uh, an entrance. I guess that's a good theory. That's that's about as good an explanation as I could come up with. Because, you know, I'm a evil space alien slug. Knowing that I'm short on living time, I'm not exactly going to put myself in a public place. Which they do. I mean, you can sit in a janitor's closet at the mall and not draw anybody's attention. Or maybe Yerks are, they're just such in pain, and they're not, we've seen that not all Yerks are super loyal to the Yerk race. Um, maybe they just don't care, and they're just in pain, and they're just out and about. <laughs> it could be. Well, either way, um, seeing this Yerk and this, this controller uh, dying here gets everybody incredibly excited because they think, wow, you know, the, the Yerks are finally... It's finally happening. They're dying of starvation, and this is just up in our chances of them being discovered and, you know, good things happening. And eh, while the team but... is... Huh? I was just going to say, but Axe knows better. You know, he he knows what's really going on. Axe is not excited as much because he knows something. Something that uh, I guess would probably depress the animorphs a whole lot so he's not telling anybody at this moment so the cops do finally show up and the guy screaming this you know insane person to everyone else but not to the animorphs um he's right in the moment of actually pulling the yerk out of his ears when the cops actually show up yeah which you think would be pretty solid evidence but apparently i think if not right here, uh, a little later in this book, we learn that once the Yerk is out um, and dead, it kind of it kind of shrivels up and just magically disappears, or at least becomes, you know, undiscernible. Although we did get a little bit of that back in book six, the capture, but it wasn't yeah. specifically drawn attention to. It's a little convenient. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, definitely. It's definitely convenient. <laughs> Although I don't see why they don't, like, just pour out as a liquid. Like... Even if they're dying, you know, they, they kind of flatten themselves and wrap around your brain. And I imagine that is almost kind of a liquid state. I think it would be way cooler if when the Yerks died, just liquid dribbled out of your ear. <laughs> no, what if what would be even better 
is if, uh, and you could still do the liquid ear thing, but if it was explained that when a yerk dies and is still wrapped around the brain, uh, if it was uh, then attacked by the by humans' uh, defenses, you know, white blood cells and uh, antibodies and everything, if it was attacked by that and dissolved, um, that would make sense. If it's thin enough that it can wrap into your brain's you know, crevices, then surely it could be broken apart and destroyed. I think what they're trying to say here, though, is that when Yerks die, they they leave a person's body. Yeah, it's their instinct. It says later that it's their instinct to head out. Wow, that's a very convenient instinct for the plot. Yeah. Thanks, Yerks. Um, here, here's where X points out, however, that the uh, Yerks tend to not leave a trace behind uh, of their presence and that he also goes and points out for the the, the first time this is going to be a recurring thing throughout the book that the Andalites are hiding some sort of guilt he's going to drop lots of sugary little hints about this Andalite guilt yeah obviously it's setting up later for the first story time that may bring everyone back together <laughs> And uh, the next thing we get to see in the book is Axe doing his little Andalite morning ritual in which uh, it's it's this almost kind of like Pledge of Allegiance sort of uh, um, phrasing. Yoga, meditation, slash, yeah, Pledge of Allegiance, like you said. But it's he even says himself, he doesn't know why he's doing it because, it's, you know, there's no more Andalites to watch over him or keep him. Well, I, I think it it's day. like it's like being lost at sea. You got to keep some sort of you know semblance of everyday life, or else you're just going to go totally insane. Either way, he doesn't finish it. I mean, he's well, um, he's he's doing his little ritual and you know contemplating how he's totally going to kill Visitor Three. Like <laughs> that's that's all he thinks about really when he's by himself now is how he's got to get revenge against Visitor Three. And he doesn't, he doesn't really like his odds. He also feels guilty that he's hiding all this information from the Animorphs. And we saw a little bit of that in that last scene. And so he's he's reminiscing about that and still kind of questioning himself whether he should you know, keep doing that or maybe turn towards the ways of his brother. Yeah, the source of his uh, confliction here seems to be he he doesn't want to break Andalite law like his brother. And uh, that's another big running theme throughout this book. Before he could make a decision on any of that or even finish the ritual, Tobias flies in. Like, hey, what you doing? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, you got to think. Uh, Axe and Tobias are, you know, forest dwellers and outsiders. And it just kind of makes sense that they would hang out the most. And this is just a little scene... Of, uh, well, we get a lot of, of scenes of their relationship and their friendship forming throughout this book. But, yeah, Tobias shows up for a little chat and, uh, happens to spot a rattlesnake nearby that's poised to strike Axe. And I think this is what makes Axe such a smart character, um, is that he decides to acquire the snake. Well, A, he just doesn't even care. That he was about to be bitten by a poisonous snake. He's pretty indifferent about it. Yeah, well, but his his tail blade kind of solves the problem pretty easily. Solves every problem. <laughs> that is true. Um, he he decides to acquire the rattlesnake because you know he, he sees the the value in in it, 
And he points out that he does not have as many Earth morphs as everybody everybody else. And Tobias is kind of even surprised that Axe would even consider wanting to become a rattlesnake. It's not until Axe kind of points out that, oh yeah, you know, this, I could see this morph being useful, that he really even even thinks about it. And I gotta say, man, with my OCD, if I had the morphing powers, I would be acquiring everything. Everything I saw. Every animal. <laughs> yeah, I why not? I would just gather DNA. Well, I don't know. I think I might be a little different than that because I would see acquiring an animal leading, obviously, to morphing that animal. And I would want to pick and choose not just animals or not just animals that would be useful or I think would be awesome or everything, but I feel like I'd think of that as a big deal. Like, this is one of the animals... I'm going to morph. It's one of my animals. I think I would actually be pretty pick and choosy. And if I had the power and morphed, I don't know, a lion and you're a lion, you'd get all mad. Dude, what are you doing? This is my morph. Get out. I would be so angry if you morphed something that I already was. We can't have matching battle morphs. Everyone's going to call us gay. I would be the hipster of animorphs because i'd be like well now i gotta go to australia and get some weird animal that you're never gonna acquire <laughs> yeah kangaroo battle morph but you've never even heard of this wo- type of wallaby <laughs> uh so x shows that he's probably the most competent character with the morph technology thus far by expressing an interest in collecting some some useful morphs um and like i said man i'd, I'd be acquiring just everything because who knows when it could come in handy oh yeah yeah i understand even people man i would break that rule (laughs) i would be acquiring a lot of people i'm not gonna lie like a ton of people Uh... tobias now we have this cute little scene where tobias obviously reveals something he's been talking about with the other animals how none of them know how axe eats at all in his normal form they have zero idea and he brings it up all not nonchalantly, but he brings it up as someone who's been trying to keep this in for a while. And <laughs> like, yeah. Hey, who, you know, how do you eat? Well, he, he does yeah, it very sly, too. He doesn't just flat out ask him, like, dude, everybody wants to know how do you eat. He, he mentions it to him and offers him an opportunity to present the answer, to which X just simply replies, I have hooves, don't I? Which is even further confusing. <laughs> so yeah. maybe if he'd have just simply had the had the nerve and the bravery to ask him he would have gotten a straight answer at this point but he does it a little bit more sly and doesn't get the direct direct answer either way they head out and they're they're talking they're talking a little bit while they run and fly and go whatever but they're mostly talking about how axe used to study humans in class and everything uh but he didn't pay much attention which is obviously which is also a recurring uh joke from applegate yeah, most of the kids are just bad students. <laughs> yeah, well, specifically Axe. He didn't pay attention to anything at school. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I, they were studying human music videos or something. Yeah, but, <sighs> sorry. But they get to uh, the others, and we see that this is phase two of the Teach Axe About Humanity uh, plan, where they're going to take him to school, and he's going to actually hang out in one of their classes. Yeah, and uh, before uh, Tobias kind of splits off from the group here, 
X points out that he thinks of Tobias kind of as his best friend, or in Andalite terminology, his charm. Which kind of sounds like a charm. Kind of sounds like a. Uh, oh man, what's the language? Uh, the Jewish language. Hebrew. Hebrew. Yeah, it does sound a little Hebrew. Yeah. Just, just an observation. <laughs> <laughs> I was just thinking. I was thinking about whether to bring it up or not, but uh, I just had a big fight with somebody on whether uh, Jewish was both a race and a religion. Um, I don't think it is, but I it don't is. know. I am by no means an expert on the topic. They just, they just uh, in this fight, I started googling it, and they just found all this evidence that there's Jewish people across the world who actually have a, at a genetic level similarities more so than just a normal person would coming from the same region they have a genetic background so oh. they're closer to, so they are a race well i guess that makes sense i can i can imagine that i just think shorm sounds like the kind of word a rabbi might sneak in somewhere when he's talking shorm, <laughs> um and we've got axe morphing human again to go to school with everybody and uh under the cover that he is jake's cousin philip from out of state um i don't 100 have... understand this so i don't know about your school or your schooling or whatever in minnesota but if i had a cousin visiting from out of town he wouldn't go to school with me he'd hang out at the house it's his vacation or something you know <laughs> why would he come to school um it's more common than you'd think really Working at an elementary school, I, I see this almost every day. Um, somebody bringing either a relative or a friend visiting from somewhere else or even a parent to to school with them for I just don't either see the part advantage. of a day or a whole day. I don't understand the advantage of like, like I get, you know, this kid still needs to go to school, but he'll be shoved into the middle of a class. He won't be able to do any of the assignments. He won't do like what? What good is sending the kid to some because random that's school still, that's, for a I day? Mean, he still has the possibility of learning something. Just because he can't necessarily participate to the fullest or do the homework doesn't mean that he isn't still learning. I, I think that's that. the overall goal with that. Um, but yeah, it, it's totally fine. Schools allow you know family members hmm. and, and visitors to attend classes on occasion. I've, just, I've never seen it happen. I've never seen it happen. Well, I see it every day, Coleman. Who are you going to believe? <laughs> every Who day. Who you going to believe, your own brain or me? Cousin Phillips show up every day at your classes? <laughs> Maybe. They're not always Cousin Phillips. Sometimes they're Step Cousin Lenny. I don't know. Anyway, we're talking way too much about this. And we need to yeah, either way, uh, Axe anyway. <laughs> is hanging out with Jake for the day. And um, it's it's a really funny scene where, you know, he's, he's pointing out and just questioning everything in the hall. And Axe's descriptions of everything are just they're great they're they're so funny and uh it, it seems realistic that this is what an alien might think when he's describing the hallway he says uh this is a, a really long hallway and there were doors everywhere just little doors and i don't even understand because the doors were too small for humans to fit inside i don't know what they could be going to and obviously <laughs> he's describing lockers and um the 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 bell rings in between classes and he just freaks out because it's so unexpected and yeah, I, I could totally see an alien reacting like that. Yeah, but, you know, they're heading down the hall. They get to Cassie's locker, um, which is a funny little scene because she has a picture of Jake hanging in her locker and Axe calls her out on it. 
Yeah, they, they have a little back and forth here, kind of trying to explain Cassie and Jake's relationship. And actually, there's going to be a little bit more of that in the book coming up. But uh, it seems like they're they're in pretty big denial at this point. At least Cassie is uh, about the the exact nature of their relationship. Um, Which is weird. I don't know. I don't know where they were taking their relationship in general throughout this book series. It's well, yeah, it seems kind of floundering because um, I think I thought we already had confirmation in book uh, six or seven that they are in fact, you know, considered in a inclusive relationship. I or think I think relationship. I think they both like each other. They're both aware of it, so they slip into it every once in a while. But I don't think Jake has ever asked her to go steady or anything. Right? Yeah. Well. Cassie will talk about this a little bit later in the book, and I'll elaborate more on that for right now. But um, right now she has a picture of Jake in her locker and doesn't want to explain to X what it's about. Uh, they end up going to a class where, by coincidence, they get very lucky here because the teacher, Mr. Pardue, uh, starts <laughs> just screaming and ranting about the yurk in his head and causing a gigantic bloody scene as he's clawing at his face yeah and do this scene nickelodeon (laughs) yeah and here's just another instance of i don't understand i don't understand the reason to write it i don't understand why the character does it but jake goes to comfort the guy and immediately gives up his uh big secret the biggest secret in his entire life you know he know he, he tells this yurk who's dying uh hey man i've been through this i know what's going on fight through it what are you doing (laughs) again yeah i don't i don't know um i i can see your point yeah it wasn't really necessary for him to tell his head and he's revealing you know who he is and even if even if the yurk wasn't out even if it wasn't a guy struggling with a yurk leaving his brain and dying um telling anyone who is not the other animorphs that you know about Yurks is almost a death sentence. <laughs> yeah, it's not very smart. I, I, I think his reasoning here, though, is that he knows that Yurk is dying, and therefore he, he feels like he can add some sort of comfort to uh, this Mr. Purdue teacher. But, but yeah, I, I, I get your point. It's just dumb. It's unnecessary. Yeah, especially... Kind of puts the team at risk. Especially with what happens next, and, uh, um, you know... Chapman comes in the room, Vice Principal Chapman, a known humongous yurt controller, uh, comes and gets everybody else out of the room and takes this guy to wherever, probably down to the yurt pool to get another yurt, which means the animorphs should be done for. <laughs> well, no, not, not, not quite exactly. Um, Jake stands there and, you know, is very defiant of uh, leaving this man's side for... for principal chapman or vice principal chapman and uh it takes axe kind of pulling him out of there otherwise there there might have been some sort of confrontation I yeah think jake is looks like he's about to reveal everything and fight chapman yeah well he, he gets in one little quip before axe manages to drag him out of there but he does point out that um chapman and this is something i think that we forgot to mention about the uh the mall controller that died earlier, they, they pointed out that they saw somebody, one of the cops, I think, uh, put this small steel cylinder against his, his neck or his head. And um, that's about as close as we get to saying they just straight up murdered the controller. 
I don't know what this small steel cylinder is supposed to represent. I mean, I would assume it's some kind of injection. They inject him with, whether whether they're killing him with a poison or knocking him out, one or the other. I don't know. I, I imagined it as some sort of, like, stun gun that, you know, is so powerful that all it takes is just one tap in the in the back of the head or the neck, and it just completely kills you. I think, you know, it, it's open to speculation. It can be whatever you want. <laughs> <laughs> whatever your heart desires. <laughs> yeah. Well, um... So they run outside. Jake Jake actually runs all the way outside of the school um, because he's he's so conflicted here. Um, he points out that, you know, Chapman just straight up killed Mr. Purdue with his little steel cylinder. And now he's starting to feel very terrible about what they've done with destroying the Candrona because it becomes apparent, and Axe even admits that, yeah, the Yerks are going to start killing the human hosts that are, you know, left behind after the mass Candrona starvation here. And this is kind this, of the Animorphs' fault. This does not go over well with the other Animorphs, especially Jake, and they flip out on Axe for knowing this and still going along with A, destroying the Candrona, and B, not telling them any of it. <laughs> yeah, and Jake even points out, you know, how could you not tell me about this with my brother being a controller and... Um, I, I still don't know if that would have changed Jake's mind back in the beginning, but, um, who knows? Let's see. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I think, uh, Jake's brother, even in his new, or even with his new, um, Yark, he's probably still high up enough that he's getting fed, but, you know, you Maybe. Know. It, it seems weird that he was ever a high-ranking controller <laughs> to begin with, but. Why? Tom? Tom? Yeah, why would that be weird? Because he's just some kid. It's yeah, just kind of a weird he's choice. just some kid, but that's not who he is. The Yerk in him was the high-ranking controller. I know. It just seems like a weird place to stick a high-ranker. That's all I'm saying. That's why they moved him. That was the entire plot of Book 6. <laughs> right. Well, it was his promotion. He probably um, became a high-ranking controller while in Tom. And then yeah. He, and then they were going to move him. That's, that's the likely scenario. Um... They they remax out a good bit for for keeping secrets from the team and um, it's just kind of a, a beginning of a rift <laughs> forming in the Animorphs team. Yeah, and uh, we see more of this the next day as Marco visits Axe and takes him for another day out. Uh, yeah, I like this uh, in particular because Axe starts out the chapter by saying, you know, Marco asked me to hang out, and it's weird because. I've never hung out with Marco before. Yeah, and obviously we know that Marco isn't his biggest fan, so it's kind of weird. Right, yeah. Marco's plan here is to take him to the bookstore, but Axe is kind of quick to figure out that this is all just kind of a plan concocted by Prince Jake so that um, they can, you know, try and learn more about him or learn more from him. And uh, Marco admits that, yeah, you know, he wanted to weasel the info out of him the way that Marco is so good at doing. But Jake specifically said, no, we're going to uh, show Axe that they have nothing to hide from him and hope that he kind of reciprocates. And that's the plan. No, I would say, knowing Marco, his actual plan involved torture. That's the most... <laughs> That's the most direct, pragmatic way to get information. So I'm sure Marco is like, you know, let's just chain him up for a few days. See what he says. 
And I'm going to give Marco a little bit more credit and say that he's not that crazy. He's a, psych- he's a psychopath. Uh, before climbing on the bus, we get this moment where, oh, crap, Marco remembers that he forgot his wallet and he has to run home. Um, so they go to do that because everything is right by. <laughs> everything is close together in this world. Yeah, um, in the city. Marco takes Axe to his house. And here we go again with another scene of the characters leaving Axe alone when they have no reason to. Why couldn't he just bring Axe up to his bedroom quick to grab his money? Instead, he leaves him in the living room and says, don't, don't move from anywhere. Stay right here. If my dad comes in, try not to talk to him. But if you have to talk to him, just, just answer yes and no. And, of course, Axe takes that literally. <laughs> yeah. Axe immediately also um, starts playing a game on a computer, which we know is, we find out here in a few minutes, is actually his dad's work. Uh, but Axe sees it as, oh, it's, it's got to be a, a game. It's so simplistic and easy <laughs> to figure a child's, out. It's a child's game, yeah. Which sounds like, on the end of the home world, like video games are really really boring they're yeah, like rocket science <laughs> uh not a lot of fun can be had fixing program code which i think is what he somehow manages to do here and uh this is when marco's dad comes in and just has one of the most bizarre funny conversations with axe trying to answer with only yes and no answers <laughs> but they do eventually head out after that and you're left to wonder, well, what did Axe do on this computer? What's what's happened? Yeah, kind of. And then I, I you know, flip the chapter here thinking, all right, we get to see Axe at the bookstore. But no, it's uh, it's it's later in the story, and uh, Axe is already back home in his little foresty... He doesn't have a scoop yet, does he? He just lives out in the forest no. right now. Maybe he hasn't uh, really settled down yet, him... You know, maybe no. he has to pick it or choose the part of forest he wants to be in or what. I think maybe at this point he's still a little hopeful that the Andalites will be here pretty pretty soon. Um, I, I don't know. For some reason, yeah, he just, he hasn't, I don't think he's taken the time to build his scoop yet. I think that happens in a future book. Yeah. But um, he's chilling out. He's, he's reading his almanac and learning more about humans. And <laughs> it's kind of a, just a good time. Um, he, he makes a point to mention how great the humans are in terms of, uh, how fast our technology develops and, um, how much potential we have. And he's just very amazed by it. And this is the point where Tobias shows up once again and just mentions that everybody's looking for Axe. And then, then everybody shows up. And then the rest of them show up. Yeah, the rest of them show up. And Marco basically flips out on him. As he's walking, yeah. but he's he's even angrier here than we've ever seen him. He's not like jokingly flipping out. He flips out because obviously what Axe did to the computer, which wasn't a game, wasn't anything. It was his dad's like life's work. <laughs> right? Yeah. Um, I'm not sure. Have they said what Marco's dad does for a living? Well, yeah, he's like um, he works for not a software company, but a uh, he's he works for an engineering company basically, and they specialize in computer chips and not military technology but they go into that later right yeah because it ends up uh his his computer here with the special programming ends up in an observatory a radio telescope observatory in fact yeah um but uh 
But the modifications that Axe made were to what you said, like a, a radio telescope. And he realizes that if this was real, if this was actually something that you guys have, this technology, I totally could have dialed up the Andalite homeworld with it. Yeah, yeah. And he thinks this all to himself. Um, he doesn't tell them that yeah. he realizes he could create a radio telescope uh, program to access Z space and somehow call his home world. Which is way far-fetched, but um, <laughs> he thinks this in his head. But of course, when when they start to ask him, you know, what are you thinking? Uh, he has to hide everything again and, and lies and tells them, you know, nothing. <laughs> nothing suspicious here. <laughs> <laughs> Starts whistling. We cut to Axe kind of running through the forest at night, um, sort of pondering what to do about this Z-space communicator that he can supposedly build. And, um... I guess he, he runs through the forest either subconsciously or just by accident happens to end up somewhere near Cassie's house. In fact, I think he even... Yeah, he out runs there. right out into her clearing. So, yeah. he the barn and everything right there. Yep, but he certainly was not expecting uh, Cassie to be out there in horse morph. Just kind of hanging out like we know Cassie likes to do. She enjoys that Don't tell morph. Jake. Don't tell yeah. Jake. <laughs> Don't tell Jake. Um, she, she asks Axe... Very politely, not to tell Jake. And Axe points out that, well, I don't think Jake would be mad because uh, he seems to like her. Which she goes on to deny, as we were talking about. I don't know why. She herself thinks um, Jake has no interest in, in, you know, dating her like that. Uh, she says, we're just friends and fellow Animorphs. And uh, <laughs> Axe even asks her, well, then why do you hold your, why do you hold hands? And she says, let's just uh, forget about this. So or maybe she's just maybe she doesn't actually think that. Maybe she's just saying that to Axe because it's awkward to talk to another person about something like that. I don't know. Especially it could be, but um I would think at least for me, talking to an alien, I, I would feel like I would not give a crap explaining things like that. That might be personal or intimate, because this alien has really no sense of that. But you're not a girl. You don't know how Cassie That's true. Out. My thought was that uh this was Applegate deciding to add in a little bit of uh, extra character de or relationship development that we don't get to see. And maybe, you know, at the end of book, uh, the Megamorphs one, maybe Cassie and Jake sat down and actually had a talk about it. And Jake thought, you know, they shouldn't necessarily become boyfriend and girlfriend since they have the Animorphs deal to worry about. Yeah. Either way, it, it probably wasn't interesting enough to put in a book. And that's why they didn't yeah and while they're talking in general uh they start talking about war and humans and and how axe uh thinks that the yurks are actually afraid of humans and that's why they're one of, that's one of the reasons why they're trying to take them over so quickly uh and there's an interesting thing he points out uh, when he's talking about war and the different races that how even andalites used to fight wars against each other uh he says the hork had a biological clock that when it went off you know, every, every, you know, hundred years or however long it would take, there would just be this huge worldwide war of hork uh, Yeah. Which I uh, thought was crazy interesting. That is actually uh, proven to be false. And it's uh, one thing that was included in the trivia thing on the uh, Seropedia entry for this book is that though he says that, um, it's it's not true. <laughs> well, he said, it, he said that they used to have this. So maybe, you know, maybe it went away or something. 
but... Mm, no, the Seropedia entry says that Axe claims this, but it, it's not true, as discussed later in, in other books. Well, that's stupid. I thought that was really interesting. That, <laughs> that Just the idea of an alien having, you know, that's one of nature's adaptations where they needed to thin their ranks or something, so they, you know, went to war biologically. Had They had, like, a biological imperative to go to war every so often. That's interesting. It, yeah, it, it, it probably would have been very interesting, but um, I guess nothing ever comes of it. So hmm. get it out of your mind right now. <laughs> um, the next part of the book, or, or this next chapter here, is it's, it's really good, but it's also, when you think about it, so messed up on so many levels. Um, Cassie invites Axe in to have dinner with her parents, which is a really nice thing. And... Um, he asks her, what should I tell them about, you know, how I know you? Because his morph is obviously, uh, his human morph is a new new kid. Um, and instead of inventing a reason, instead of, you know, spending literally 30 seconds maybe thinking of, of what to tell her parents for an explanation, she comes up with the bright idea of having Axe morph Jake instead. This actually... This is really, so messed up. This is interesting going back to what you were just talking about and the fact that there was a section, you know, a page ago of them going into Cassie and uh, Jake's relationship. So based on what you said, like maybe they did have some talk about not actually getting together because of the Animorphs and this war and everything they're fighting in. Um, it's weird. It, it's kind of like that just happened. Like that talk just happened. So Cassie's like all pissed off or oh you, or, you know, know what that could be why she's it. out in horse morph because yeah. she got all sad talking to jake or something on the phone and <laughs> yeah just... and then and then and then she has she, it's like her way to deal with it is having she's like living this fantasy that they're still together by yeah having... and that's what's wrong and that's what's creepy about this yeah is that this she is tells weird. him specifically no become the boy that i'm in love with so that you know i can have a family Normal. dinner with you yeah, it's weird. It's really, well, really weird. We just cracked the code. I mean, it's it's fun when they actually get into it. Uh, they they go in and um, have a very strange conversation with uh, Cassie's parents. Um, it, it's kind of funny because Axe thinks making conversation is like a game almost, where one person asks a question, provides an answer, and then another question is asked. And he does this throughout the, the thing. Yeah. <laughs> And he even he even brings up something really random, like they're talking about sports games, and he changes the topic to, did you know that humans invented a something something in the 1840s? I don't remember what the specific example is, but it's funny yeah, and out of the out of left field. He's referencing his almanac. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's all he's doing, and um, uh, we get another axe food freak out because Cassie's dad makes this insanely spicy chili and. Uh, Jake, as it were, <laughs> eats like 19 bowls of it and just enjoys the sensation of spice, which is one I do not enjoy. Yeah, surprise, You're surprise. crazy, Axe. <laughs> yeah. um, they wrap it up and it's, it's, time for, it's time for him to go. And Axe was really into being able to sit down, have a meal with parents and it's so family-oriented and stuff he immediately is depressed and 
uh, just really homesick in general. And uh, Cassie asks him about his own parents. Yep, I I, I really like this. Um, when they when they go outside, um, Cassie kind of asks him what his parents are like. And this is a really well-written part because it's not until Axe is in human form and he's saying the words out loud and he's trying to tell her about his parents that, you know, his voice becomes very choked up and perhaps he would have even cried or maybe he did cry. But um, that's when he realizes, like, holy shit, man, I really miss my parents and I'm not going to see them maybe ever again. Um, yeah, I, ju- I just think it's cool that he doesn't really understand those emotions or, or come to realize them until he's human. Well done, Applegate. It's true. So <laughs> is this where is this the point that you're saying it jumps a shark? Uh, yeah, actually, this is the this is the part where I think the book starts to fall fall apart. Um, everything I read thus far, I really enjoyed, really enjoyed all of it. And I thought, you know. Okay, it seems like they're they're obviously setting up this uh, Z space technology conundrum because yeah, Axe has moved human uh, technology forward like a hundred some years, and that seems like it would be a gigantic problem and enough to dedicate to the rest of the book, but um, not exactly. It 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 gets a little. I don't know, drifty here <laughs> from plot points. So right now, Axe is not a very happy Andalite. <laughs> and um, he's going to go speak with Tobias for a little bit. Because, you know, Tobias is his best friend. Shorm forever. <laughs> and he even asks Tobias, like, are we friends? And Tobias is, of course, like, heck yeah, bro. <laughs> so they have a nice little chit-chat about Elfangor. And uh, Axe decides to tell Tobias his his plan what he's what he's thinking about doing here which we don't even know at this point he really swears him to secrecy i mean and tobias holds up for the rest of the book of not telling anyone anything and he doesn't even tell tobias the entire plan which is smart on his part he doesn't tell him why he's doing it he just tells him what they're going to do and that he needs to shut up about it yeah because at this point you know they're all about this or he's all about the secrets um and the next morning we have them meeting up to fly uh, a little while north to an observatory. Um, and as they're flying, uh, of course, Axe is in uh, Harrier Morph? Yeah. Harrier. yeah. And Tobias is pointing out all the predators along the way, and uh, they really made this uh, flying chapter here kind of interesting for what it is. Yeah. Um, and they end up... <laughs> they find this this telescope radio dome thing the observatory and they managed to fly inside of it. Cause uh, it, from what I know about radio telescopes, they do have a little crack area that a bird, I suppose could fit through. Um, and they go ahead and fly. I think she is picturing the classics observatory with the telescope sticking out and it can move up and down along this axis. And yeah, that, that, that's, that's what I think it in. is. But um, there's also uh, Axe even points out, you know, huh, you guys still are using dishes. Huh? Yeah. <laughs> um, but anyway, they, they, they fly inside this uh, observatory thing, and this is kind of where Axe and, and Tobias split up. And uh, Axe, does he morph human here? I can't remember. No, he doesn't. He's walking around in Andalite morph, or in his Andalite body, um, inside to, to try and find the computer that just so happens to have, you know, the, the program, I guess, that he changed on Marco's dad's laptop. Which, luckily, it's right nearby. Which, it's not... I don't think it's specifically... I'm sure there's some network that he can access that. 
Yeah. Um, program that he I'm kind of wondering why exactly he needs to be. Well, I guess this is the 90s and computers aren't yeah, that advanced no internet. yet. But... <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's internet, but it's not, you know, you're not guaranteed to be able to access another uh, network just through, you know, one that you have, even if it's connected to the internet. That just kind of dates the story, really. Any other, any other, you know, modern day st- uh, story would have them hacking into the computer remotely and doing it from wherever is convenient. This is the 90s where you actually had to physically go to the location of the computer if you wanted to <laughs> access it, you know? Well, I mean, it could be a closed... If it's important enough information, it could be a closed network that you can't hack into. Um, so that doesn't completely date it. There'd just be need, there need to be another line of dialogue saying that it's policy of this observatory to, you know, not let their computers interact with, uh, you know, outside networks. Yeah, I guess so. Regardless, uh, it's kind of stupid because he finds a computer. Um, it, it never really even specifies if it's Marco's dad's computer, if it's his program, whatever. He just finds a computer and then goes about in like a, a paragraph or two, just kind of super hacks his way into uh, managing to somehow call the Andalite homeworld. It, it, it just it baffles me and it makes no sense. <laughs> it's kind of weird. Um, I mean, this is an exciting part of the book and in that this is the first time we're hearing from another animal or another uh, Andalite. And, you know, he's he's calling for possibly help or this. This could be a big, big, big story point story point for the overall mythology of the series. But it's it's treated like a very small scene and kind of just like, oh, of course he's doing this. Uh, yeah, um, not a lot happens, truthfully. Um, just Axe kind of tells whoever picks up <laughs> what's going on on Earth, what the situation is, and he basically explains how both he and his brother Elfengor have kind of broken Andalite laws. So at least he tells the truth. It's a good mm-hmm. start. And um, the other dude on the on the end mentions Ciro's kindness specifically not not the specifics of it but he mentions Ciro's kindness and in what is kind of a a d-bag of a move (laughs) X asks X if maybe he had misspoken and meant to say that uh that he had broken Ciro's kindness and his brother Elfengor had not X immediately falls on the blade and takes the entire judgment of the Andalite homeworld um, for something he didn't even do, giving the power to morph to humans. Yeah, very noble, actually, I think. Yeah, but the way it's explained is kind of cool in the sense that Axe just kind of goes along with it, and he's just like, well, he's torn between wanting to hold, keep his own honor and absolutely not wanting to say anything bad about Elfing or, or dirty his name at all. Yeah, and it, it ends up not even mattering because the dude instantly forgives him and even goes as far as to commend him for you know like breaking the law where it's necessary and <laughs> um yeah. it, it it i don't know it, it seemed kind of I pointless think but nice. i think it'll still i think elfangor could have his reputation could have been fine though with having that mark on him even though it's a big mark it still would have been fine he would have been legendary and known throughout the universe whereas axe even if this guy's forgiving him and he's not going to be punished for it it's still something like, 
you're walking down the street, people are going to talk about you behind your back and stuff. Oh, there's the guy who gave morphine to humans. Well, I think you know? as far as, like, Andalite society goes, it, it just, it would be something better to tell the Andalite homeworld that, you know, the giant war hero Alfengor wasn't the one who gave the morphine technology to humans. It was this nobody cadet named Axe who Yeah, you gotta keep the propaganda machine going. Stuck there. Yeah. <laughs> Precisely. But this is also when Tobias kind of in Broken Thought Speak warns Axe that uh, somebody's coming. And um, Axe gets to speak with his father here for a little bit and delivers the ultra sad news that, of course, Elfengor's dead. And this is where we get the ritualistic... Huh? I was saying his terrible father who's like, sends his other kid to get revenge on this, you know, one of the greatest warriors of the universe. Well... We 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 know that the Andalites are are this kind of people, and I it stands to reason that his dad would be you know kind of old school traditional Andalite. Yeah, but your kid just died. All right, you you find out that Elthangor, the pride of your family, is dead. Yes, so he and really have, wants revenge. Yeah. Well, yeah. No, I understand the revenge. I I understand the father wanting revenge, but then your teenage kid. The last son you have, you're just you're going to basically put him in a situation that ninety five percent could lead to his death. Yeah, basically. Um, I, I in all the interaction we get with uh with Andalites, specifically with Elfengor and Ax, and their parents, uh, we get the sense that their parents aren't very good people. No, <laughs> at least not by human standards. Yeah. So maybe there's something else going on there, but it seems like a terrible fight, Dad. Well, either way, um, Axe does get to talk to him a little bit, and they uh, kind of do this ritualistic revenge pact thing. And uh, this is when the uh, human controller kind of shows up and cuts off the feed. Um, and it's also where the, the plot definitely jumps the shark. Because <laughs> <laughs> Tobias manages to swoop in for an attack somehow. I don't know how he manages to get all the way in there um but the, the the controller is very insistent that he just wants to talk and so they immediately believe their sworn enemy that he's probably okay well he goes on to to tell him this story about how he hates visitor three because the guy killed this this guy's girlfriend and this raises even more questions really um so he's mad because he he killed the the yerk that he's in love with but um do yerks have gender or do they base their you know who they love on the human controller that they happen to possess i mean i think it might be a matter of a couple things because a we find out later that yerks reproduce by three yerks coming together and blowing up into a bunch of yerks right i'm i can't honestly say i remember the mating habits i think of i could be yerk. making this up but i'm pretty sure we find out that it takes three yurks to come together and create new yurks and so that raised the question a of you know why would they just get attached to one or something i don't i don't think they have a concept of love in general with yurks i think it's a offshoot of being in human more too long because we've seen that they do take on characteristics of whatever. Yeah, I think it might be based on, like, preference, you know? Well, yeah, I'm sure it's some of that. I mean, they do like each other, and they do a attach to each other, just like friendships and stuff, somewhat similar to us. But 
Uh, I think as far as love, we see in other books that they don't really have a concept of falling in love until they get into a host body that has a concept of love. And then they start taking yeah. on mannerisms and characters. Yeah, man, that, that's all uh, All Vizzer is basically about. <laughs> exactly. Um, it's, it's kind of interesting. However, in this particular instance, it's sort of um, weird and not really fully fleshed out here. Because this guy decides to betray Visor 3 by giving X the coordinates and the time where Visor 3 apparently feeds uh, in his Andalite body. He has to feed in the meadow, which of course is, you know, probably going to be attached to Cassie's house somewhere. <laughs> yeah. And the guy wants him to go kill Visor 3. So this is like X's, you know, big dream come true here. <laughs> yeah. Especially right after his father told him he has to, and it basically ritualistically forced him to. So it's nice that he can now. Yeah, it's quite convenient to the plot, which is another huge problem of this book. But um, uh, after that, it cuts to another meeting at Cassie's barn. And this is where everyone is kind of like fed up with Axe. And they just, they deliver unto him a friendship speech, the likes of which we've never seen. <laughs> yeah, they go off on him and they kind of corner him. And they, they want to know. They want to know, why are you hiding these things? Why can't you just tell us? This would help us fight the war. Blah, 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 blah. All of that. And uh, Cassie, she, you know, brings up the fact that... Or what, how does she do this? How, how does this happen? Uh, she mentions... Well, it's actually kind of Axe who gives it away. He says, you know, um, uh, every every species fights wars, and every species has their own guilt. And Cassie picks up on the, the, the hint of guilt again, and points out that the Andalites must have done something that they're guilty for, and everyone kind of figures out, like, okay, so you're not supposed to help inferior species, and uh, just kind of calls him on all this BS so far. Yeah, and this actually is a little bit of an emotional moment when Axe thanks them for everything they've done and for saving him, and he's going to, you know, he's going to unburden them with his presence, and he, he even says, like, well, I'm probably going to I was probably going to leave soon anyway, but you know, it's, it's just kind of a sad you know, moment for him. It's like uh, it's like that episode of Pokemon, Pikachu's goodbye. <laughs> I don't where remember that. Uh, where they're all like, "Go on, you gotta be free." <laughs> oh, oh yeah, releasing <laughs> like... Axe into the wild, kind of. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, yeah. They give him the ultimatum, you know, stop keeping secrets or get out. And uh, he takes the get out option. Yeah, but now, you know, you can't get out of a Shorm relationship because the next day, Tobias, you know, he shows up once again, checking on Axe. Yeah, as he's doing his little morning ritual, which has been tweaked for for killing purposes, I guess. On your killing day. Yeah, he's, he's definitely trying to psych himself up to basically go get himself murdered is what he's thinking is going to happen. <laughs> Yeah, Tobias, you know, he he still wants to know more of why they did what they did and, and what that's leading to, but Axe still won't tell him, so. Yeah, and, you know, he, he even asks, you know, don't, don't, don't tell the people, don't tell Prince Jake what I'm about to go do. And Axe, or, and Tobias swears he won't. Um, and then they split up, and Axe heads to the meadow that Visor 3 is supposed to be feeding on because... Somehow he knows the exact location based on the information that Yurt gave him. Yeah. <laughs> and he arrives early so he can kind of 
scope it out and check out the uh, the scenario and formulate a plan. Luckily, he just got his new rattlesnake morph at the beginning of this book, so back to your convenience problem. Yeah, well, here's his opportunity to uh, put that rattlesnake to good use. Um, he he kind of decides that's the best way to do it, is to morph rattlesnake and wait it out. And, of course, he, he does just that, and rattlesnake morph is kind of cool, I guess. Um, the Yorkshire I think that should have been on Oop. the front of the cover. Although, I mean, I get wanting to put an Andalite and turn it into a human on the cover for his book. But yeah. It would have been cool to have an, uh, a rattlesnake cover. Yeah. Um, I think the first time we see Axe, it's a little bit disappointing that we don't see Axe morphing an animal. But, um... We do get some weird, weird examples of that later. Axe yeah. to cow. Anybody? Raccoon. I like the raccoon one. The cow one, though, man. That's like, it's, it's on the end of my bookshelf, so I'm like constantly staring at it. It just weirds me out. <laughs> I don't think I've bought that one yet. Uh, well, I haven't uh, read that one either. Um, the Yurks show up here to the meadow, finally. And everybody piles out. There's controllers hanging out, and Visitor 3 gets out and starts to feed. Although, we're not given the specifics on how he does that just yet. <laughs> and so, uh, Axe, I think, gets close enough, and, and he attacks! And he actually gets him, which I was surprised, even though I've read this book before. I was, uh, I was surprised. I was like, oh, he actually got him! He wins! Visitor 3's Me, gonna die! Yes! Surprised it worked so well. <laughs> yeah, no, it um, worked out. Even though he manages to to actually, you know, bite Visitor 3 and inject some poison into him, uh, Visitor 3 is still very much alive for at least a couple more minutes and orders all the, the Hork-Bajir and Taxons and whoever else is wandering around there to find the snake! Get him! And uh, Axe does get chased by some Hork-Bajir and he mentions that, you know, he's about to get caught and about to die hardcore here when Rachel shows up in Grizzly Morph to help him out. And it's the, you know, it's this big triumphant moment where Axe is like surprised that they all came to help him, even though we knew, the readers knew it was going to happen. Yeah, it's obviously what happened is that Tobias did not keep his promise. Uh, it, for good for good reason this time, because Axe would have died. This would have been the end of Axe. So Tobias told the other Animorphs and they show up to save the day and help him out. Yeah, and Axe tries to call him out on that, but Tobias is like, well, you know what, I just did what you were doing, and... Uh, obeyed my superior because jake commanded me to tell tell him what you're up to yeah unfortunately uh they are not going to kill visitor three on this day because he uses God, an yeah. body to run to a nearby stream and and gets out of there which i'm surprised the second he leaves aleron's body that aleron doesn't just whip him with his tail and kill him <laughs> well i think what they're trying to say here is that the the body is you know being affected way too much by this poison and that's kind of why he goes down but yeah tobias calls out from skycam location that uh he sees the <laughs> he sees the the visitor three yerk escaping into a convenient nearby stream and oh crud he can't see him through the water oh no um hmm. and this is this is just really disappointing about this book is that you know uh x gets this moment where he gets to talk to the host body of Visor 3, War Prince Alaron. And um, kind of a big character, especially if you've read The Andalite Chronicles. Mm -hmm. um, 
it, which we haven't seems... yet because we're before that. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, but it seems like you know this entire plot point here was just manufactured so that uh, Axe can get this little conversation in with Alaron. Because um, he doesn't really do much other than tell him, you know, uh, tell my family I'm hopeful. And he even asks Axe to kill him, which Axe totally should have done. But 100%. he does not. <laughs> he does I mean, not. Think of, how, think of how desperate Visitor 3 is right now, thinking that he just lost the only Andalite body in the oh, entire yeah. known universe. Yeah, in, in probably one of the worst ways possible. <laughs> yeah, so, but unfortunately, Axe is too much of a coward to follow through. Um, so, and then, what are you this do? is what I don't get, all the Animorphs. Um, I suppose you could say that, yeah, like, the, the other controllers that were there maybe called for some more bug ships to come down. But um, the Animorphs are... are in that state once again where they're like we gotta go we can't do anything important right now <laughs> and they they totally leave Alaron there knowing full well that you know the yurks are probably going to recover him probably cure his poison and yeah no i think they i think they all just assume that he was probably gonna die from the poison maybe the animorphs not so much because they don't know what's going on but axe probably left him because he's like yeah he might die either way not handling this right now is probably one of the worst decisions they've ever made because Visor 3 comes out of everything unscathed here. Um, and then after this, we, we get to a nice scene where Axe is finally at a point where he's telling everyone, you know, all about Ciro's kindness, finally. And I don't know about you, but I think Ciro's kindness is just stupid. <laughs> no, I disagree completely. I think it's a very good sci-fi concept of the alien race finding this other one, picking them up, helping them, and helping them go to the stars, and it just backfiring completely. I actually would say this is the most interesting thing in this book, is Ciro's kindness. I just thought it was dumb, because at the point that the Andalites found the Yerks, uh, they had only made the, I think it was the, the Ged, or the Jed, as you call them, uh, their host bodies, their primary host bodies. And here was an Andalite who said, you know... This parasitic species that likes to enslave other species, they're something special. They're, they're ones that need to be out there. Like, why? This was clearly an idiot Andalite. <laughs> I, would, I would say that he probably met a Yurk and conversed with one who was intelligent and hopeful and everything you'd want when meeting an alien species. And I'm sure the Yurk was like, man, dude, I mean, we could be so much. We could be like you guys. We could be as good as you, the great Andalites, if only we had a way to travel the stars. Our race would love you. We could be helpful to you, blah, blah, blah. I'm sure he was convinced. Yeah, yeah, probably. Idea. And in fact, man, this is one that I, I would love to read the book for. They should make this a book. The, there the should be a Yurk kindness. Chronicles. Yeah, why not? The Yurk Chronicles? That'd be awesome. Applegate! Get on it. <laughs> yeah, it's a Chronicles book, Applegate. You don't even need to restart the series. Just write this. <laughs> no, yeah, exactly. Write the story of Ciro's kindness because it needs to be elaborated on. I personally think it's very, very stupid that any intelligent species would see a parasitic species, even if they're not militaristic at this point. I think that's one example or one possibility that you would have to examine before deciding yeah. to give them superior that's technology. That's just your... That's just your racist confirmation bias. 
yeah against parasitic <laughs> intelligent species heck yeah this is what they do they take over other species. i think i think the yurks have a lot going for them I, i'd help them out <laughs> so anyway uh he tells them all about Ciro's kindness and everybody makes up and and they get another really big sp- friendship speech here about how awesome humans are and um <laughs> everyone finally you know works up the courage to ask axe the question that's been eating away at them this whole time how does he eat flat out and he uh gives them a little explanation that uh the andalite mouths are actually on their hooves which is terrifying to think about <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, what are you stepping dog crap or something? I know exactly. Uh, I I don't know. We we never. It's it's kind of disappointing that we never uh, actually get to see a depiction of what an andalite mouth would look like on the on the bottom of their hooves. There, do they have four mouths? Well, no. Them? I think it's probably like a bunch. It's not. It's not a mouth. I, I'm sure it's like slits in the hoof, like in the uh, like if the hoof has some design on the bottom of it that when the grass goes up into it and it's crushed, they just pull it the rest of the way in yeah yeah that's that's probably what it would look like I yeah would say. but um, anyway so this last scene i think is kind of dumb um, oh yeah this is terrible this is <laughs> this yeah. is just a we have to wrap up all the loose ends kind of ending here where Which they don't uh, wrap up barely any of them but they do wrap up the uh controller who you know gave up the secrets to visitor threes eating spot and it's just axe blackmailing him uh, yeah, yeah, <laughs> he's blackmailing the uh, controller with this information that uh, you know he's the one that sold out Visitor Three, and um, he's at he's access back at the observatory with this controller, and he's calling um, the Andalite homeworld one more time to uh, tell the Andalites that uh, you know Alaron's family needs to know that he's okay and blah 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 and all this stuff, and. Uh, Axe also likes to point out here that he's going to do everything he can to save the humans, even if it means breaking the law, because he is kind of adapting them as his people now, as circumstances deem necessary. And the dude on the other end gets really mad and uh, says that Axe is just like his brother, which at this point in the story is now a big compliment that makes him very happy to hear. (laughs) After constantly pointing out throughout the entire story the ways he's not like Elfengor. to have one similarity makes him happy yeah no i i can see that and it fits axe character great so and and that's the end that's that's where the book ends nothing yeah. else so, all right <laughs> uh let's uh let's keep the reviews pretty short so jump right in. sure do you, you want to you go first this time oh okay um i'm i'm very torn on this book uh it's funny because at the end of our, our Megamorphs discussion, I, I said, you had already finished book eight, but I'm currently in the middle of reading it, and I love it. And that is true up to that point, uh, up to the point where after dinner at Cassie's, um, it just kind of takes this downward spiral. And um, that that's what's going to ultimately affect the rating that I'm going to give it. At first, I thought it was a... A high rating and now i'm reconsidering that but the good things we get from this book are axe's earth diary entries before some of the chapters are really funny um we get more axe food freakouts which is always you know enjoyable to watch um axe's observations and comments on humans and human society just throughout the book are all very funny and poignant and hilarious 
um, as well as X's interactions with all the other humans. Him talking to, to Cassie's parents is, is one of the great conversations of this book. Um, anytime he talks to Marco is great. X and Tobias uh, specifically are doing a lot of relationship building in this book, and that's very important for stuff later on. Um, in fact, when you think about their actual, their biological relationship, everything takes on kind of a different meaning that you wouldn't really pick up um, from right here. Uh, and then this is, of course, the book where X officially joins the team. So it's it's very important. It's critical reading because of that. Um, the bad things that it does, however, though, is just that the plot depends far too heavily on convenience. Conveniently, they went to the mall on the day that they see a, a controller freak out. Conveniently, Axe goes to the school with them the day a Yurk freaks out. Uh, conveniently, you know, he runs into Cassie and... and it's it's just all based on convenience, really. Um, and then the the whole Yerks spontaneously dying and then <laughs> them murdering the the leftover human hosts plot kind kind of uh, seemed to die out there after after Jake realized what's happening. So I don't know if that's a choice of them just not knowing what else they could do with it at this point, or if that was the author just sort of kind of shying away from well. The plot has once again turned to death, so we're going to kind of tone it back and not go into it so much. Um, Cassie having Axe morph Jake for a, a little pseudo date is just so messed up, and it really kind of makes Cassie seem crazy at this point, if you think about it. Um, uh, we have Visor 3's very disappointing getaway of, you know, where they have him here. There's so many options where they could have either killed him or captured him or just done something. Something. Other than, tell my wife and kids I love them, and then it's over kind of thing. It, it was just disappointing. Um, as I mentioned, I thought Ciro's kindness was very stupid, but... I'm sure most of the fandom probably likes and appreciates that plot point as you do. Um, and then the the final chapter wrap up there. Um, not wrap uppy enough for me. What about this technology that Axe has given the uh, humans, which I thought was going to be the main focus of the plot, and instead it turned out to be just kind of a a, a MacGuffin to move the plot along, and ultimately was not uh, wrapped up well enough for me. Uh, did he leave the technology there? Did he delete it afterwards? We'll never know, because that's where the plot ended. So, factoring out all the good and factoring in all the bad, I half loved the book and I half meh the book. So, for that, I'm giving it a three. Uh, it gets, it gets three out of five rattlesnakes. Three out of five rattlesnakes, okay. So, uh, I'm gonna... Mine's, mine's much simpler than that. Uh, I, I do agree with you on a lot of points. Uh, I don't... When you told me before we were recording that you had a specific point that you thought the book went downhill, um, I I don't really see it that much. I think it's salt and peppered throughout good and bad things. Uh, the conveniences right from the beginning are extreme and one right after another. Uh, but there are some really good scenes throughout the book, at the beginning and the end. So uh, I think the main plot of the book with turning to this axe needing to kill Visitor 3, while interesting in concept, wasn't executed very well and wasn't very good in general. 
But the human moments and the struggle with Axe, struggling with whether he wants to be a part of this fight for real or be a part of humanity and settle into uh, what he's doing there and, and being stuck and not being saved and interacting with humans. I think all of that is great and excellent and awesome. So funny uh, that we have kind of two different viewpoints on the book overall, but we're going to be ending on the exact same score. So I'm also going to give it a three. Uh, three out of three out of five uh, brown globules. <laughs> globules, yeah. Globules. <laughs> Which spark. is, of course, what Axe calls the candy that he's eating off the movie theater floor. Um, yeah, you know, I, I I tend to agree with most of the things you said as well. Um, this is a great, like, alien stuck on, uh, uh, you know, Earth kind of observation on humanity sort of book that I think... Honestly, anybody who likes those kind of stories of just like an alien trying to blend in with humanity could pick this book up without knowing anything else about the Animorph series and enjoy it. I think so. I think, yeah. I mean, you might be confused on why they hate this Visitor 3 guy. Well, no, because they go into that. They go into... Yeah, yeah, we get that. Yeah. So, hmm. it's, it's a pretty self-contained story for just anyone who's a fan of science fiction and specifically this type of thing, alien blending in with human society. Yeah, it's just a shame the writing doesn't hold up as much as some of the other books. Well, it seems like she had a lot and a lot and a lot of plot points that she really wanted to get in on this, and it turns out that most of them aren't well elaborated on. Or yeah, kind of pitter out. And they don't go too much into the... I mean, we're, we're reacting in this book to the whole Kendrona thing, uh, but I would have liked to have seen even more aftershocks of them dealing that big of a blow to the York Empire. Uh, yeah, it could have been its own entire book. And in fact, I thought that was going to be the point of this book, is that, oh no, you know, controllers are dying everywhere, and the the big setup is that, oh no, they're going to start killing the hosts that survive, but it's almost immediately forgotten, as soon as it's pointed out. Okay, well, let's uh, let's get into some of our feedback we've been getting recently. Uh, we've been yeah, getting uh, recently... You, we've got we've got an email or two, and uh, I would like to read some of the Reddit comments that we got uh, posted on last week's topic of uh, the Megamorphs episode that we posted on r slash Animorphs. Okay, so our first email, or our only email this week, comes from uh, Christopher, and uh, he says, "Hello, Mitchell and Coleman. I'm loving this podcast!" Exclamation point. I'm in a I've been an Animorphs fan ever since I was in a bookstore with my dad and saw a book with a kid turning into a lizard not knowing that this series would have such an impact on my life. I'm now in my mid-twenties and started and started rereading the books to get a new adult perspective on the series to see if it holds up, which by and large it does, minus some mishaps such as journeying to Atlantis and buff a human, uh, intentional genocide of an entire species, Tobias killing off the Mercora, and Rachel splitting into two. Okay, there's too much. This is just ruining the entire series. <laughs> no, no, he's, he's pointing out all the silly... The, the sillier things that happen in the series that I think most of the fans kind of shudder at. I yeah. never read the Buffa Human book. I don't know. I'm, I'm I have, out of loop I actually on that one. don't mind that book that much, but we'll, we'll get to that. Um, <laughs> I can't wait. And then he uh, and then he goes on to uh, see if we've come across a, another review show uh, called Pop Arena, which I, I've seen a few of their reviews and stuff. Uh, they're uh, yeah, they're, they're on YouTube primarily. I have not, and I don't particularly care. Whoa! Shots fired. <laughs> Is that the only email? Is that it? Yeah, it's the only email. Okay. Um, I just got a couple 
nice Reddit comments here that I want to read. Uh, Padfoot240 says, um, the new intro is cool. This was for the Megamorphs episode previously. And uh, yeah, you, you put a lot of time into the these little intros and seg- segues. Yeah, I don't like the segue from last week, but uh, the intro out there turned, I thought turned out okay, despite terrible Animorphs TV show audio quality. Yeah, well, Padfoot240 is uh, appreciative of it, so thank Yay. you. <laughs> Another user, uh, Narrative Casualty, points out that the, uh, he says, having read the last few books just last week, I can firmly say the very last mention of Melissa Chapman is in book number 51 after Marco steals a tank. And then he included the excerpt of dialogue where she's mentioned. Uh, now, if you'll recall, in last week's episode, uh, we had what we thought was the last mention of Melissa Chapman with Rachel going off to gymnastics camp with her. Um, so, yeah, here we go. Definitive answer. Book 51. The last time we hear about Melissa Chapman. Yeah, I'm sure there's some other instances of them mentioning that. I didn't mean to say that this is the last Melissa Chapman ever, but... Uh, well, it's it's one of those things that you're you're kind of conscious about is that, you know, we know that Melissa had one book in the series early on, but uh, was she going to stick around and be a relevant character is just kind of what we were pondering. It's just weird how much she's built up in that book as a character and and almost like she's going to be important and then they just drop her. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, she's a character that I would say they could have done something with, you know. In, in at least, oh. you know, another Rachel book. It would have been great if she was this character. Uh, it would have been great in general if the Animorphs had these friends uh, who they were really good friends with and were constantly interacting with the Animorphs in the books. They were just on the fringe, and obviously. And, like, Melissa was one who was, you know, Rachel's best friend, and she constantly wanted to know why they were all hanging out, and blah, blah, blah. And she, like, comes across the secret, and they make her an Animorph later on. Dude, yeah, she could have been the next Animorph. Yeah, in, a, in an aborted Animorph plotline. <laughs> it is weird. Now that I'm thinking about it, uh, it is weird how... I mean, I guess if these diaries are to talk about the major events in the Animorphs' fight against the war, I understand it, but it is weird that we don't get any, really, any outside uh, bodies interacting with the stories in the Animorphs. Yeah, um, besides the other alien species they go into... Um, supporting cast for these Animorphs books are, is surprisingly not that large. Yeah, it's mostly it's mostly family members and stuff. Yeah, yeah, it is. Um, Reddit user Sev elaborated a little bit more on our uh, crazy shack lady theory from the previous episode, and he says, "Pretty sure shack lady just walked directly to another one of the abandoned shacks in the forest." <laughs> I really like the theory on her. Maybe some of the clothes burnt in the shack actually belonged to the Animorphs. She could be the one Yerk that found the bag and hightailed it out of there, taking the bag with her as some small thing she could do to protect her fellow Gap Yerks from the inevitable. And uh, <laughs> that's a nice little nice little thought addition to our uh, uh, theory. As long as people are accepting our theory as canon, I'm okay with it. Um, and then the last one, Reddit user... Oh boy. Chinchillax.com <laughs> says, uh, another awesome episode this week. I couldn't stand Rachel's amnesia either. Amnesia never works ever. Maybe for some absolute beginning of a story or a story involving reincarnation, but besides those two exceptions, I find amnesia plots annoying. Thank you. 
I do have to admit that this was a crazy action-packed book. You guys keep talking about an Animorphs movie adaptation. Is that really the ideal medium you would like Animorphs to be adapted to? I mean, there's radio play adaptations, graphic novel adaptations, video game, or animation. I just don't think a single movie would do the series justice. Personally, I think this series would make a great 3D animated Saturday morning cartoon. And boy, have we discussed that topic to death. Yeah, it's just a shame that this uh, this user is just completely wrong in everything he said. Um, I, I am so with... Aside from the 3D animated cartoon, uh, I think it could be an Avatar, The Last Airbender. Of course, style it could cartoon. be. But I want, I want the natural, realistic, awesome tone of the books, and I think the only way you're going to achieve that is with seeing characters on screen in a realistic setting. Well, here's the thing, though. I think it should be a cartoon, but not on Nickelodeon. I think it would be more at home on Adult Swim. I don't think Adult Swim does very serious things for the most part. They they're more comedy now than anything else. But yeah, if you're but talking, they, they can they can push the envelope and do kind of darker sort of stories. You're just and not getting it. I'm things not that are more taboo. About just having like gore and you know adult tones and stuff like that. I'm literally talking about the mediums. Mediums are built for very specific things, and I think when you go animation it's so that you can show more fantastical things and have it fit within the story well, which obviously them morphing all the time, that's something that animation could benefit. But even if it'd be harder, even if it'd be more expensive, I think to nail teenagers in this actual war and having to deal with it, I think I think that's personified in live action, uh, either television nowadays with a decent budget or a movie. Well, like I said, everybody's going to have their own opinion. Suck it. <laughs> it could be done... I'm not saying that it couldn't be done well in movie format. Of course it could. I think it would just take several movies to tell the entirety of the story um, that would end up satisfying the most diehard fans, such as You ourselves. know what? If I could actually get the money to make my uh, Animorphs live-action uh, teaser trailer I've talked about forever, I would show you what medium it could be done in. Oh, great. Yeah, that's one thing you can look forward to later your listeners i've Coleman, already got it scripted, listeners. begging you for money for his kickstarter <laughs> i've already got it scripted just make it happen oh jeez. <laughs> give me money too while we're at it <laughs> <laughs> now you've seen the machinations that made this comp uh, this podcast come to fruition <laughs> <laughs> well uh, that about wraps up our review on uh book eight the alien um I would love to say that everybody can join us next time when we uh, dive into book nine, The Secret. So I will say that now. <laughs> You'd love to do it, so you'll do it. <laughs> yeah. Join us next, next time as we dive into book nine, The Secret. Yeah, that'll be a good one uh, in the sense that I think the gloves are coming off in the next episode as far as reviewing it. I don't remember a thing about it other than they morph termite and they're in the woods a lot. Like they are in I most books, in fact. I don't particularly think either of us like this next book and uh, might even have some spiteful things to say about it. So, of course, if, I, if we don't really like a book and we're angry about it, um, you can expect, it. you know, probably the first low score from Mitch. So maybe he'll give it a five or something. Uh, 4.5. That's what I'm thinking. 4.5. Yeah. I I haven't read it yet, though. You already have, and I have not. You son of a bitch. Yep. <laughs> but I stopped, so I didn't I didn't read further, so we're good. Good. Yes. Thank you. 
We're gonna we're gonna enjoy the Android together as it was meant to be. Oh, One of yes. the and I will say the Android is the darkest book in the series to this point. Is it? Oh, I, I, I don't, again I haven't. I don't I haven't remember that. It. Well, I haven't see. read it recently, but if I remember the ending correctly, it gets messed up. Hmm. Yeah. Well, I'm excited for that one. Not so excited for, for book nine, now that you've <laughs> told me it sucked. <laughs> well, I don't know. We'll see. But I just, I, I'll see what you think. But Yeah, know, all man. that and more next time on ThoughtSpeak. Unless Cassie's morphing a yerk or something, her books don't end up very great. <laughs> <laughs> all right, so thanks for listening. You can find more ways to listen to the show by going to ThoughtSpeakCast.com. Follow us on Twitter at MorphCast or like us on our Facebook. Send us your thoughts on an upcoming episode by emailing us at thoughtspeakcast at gmail.com, and we'll read it on the air, as you've seen tonight. Uh, finally, reviews on iTunes really help out the show and attract more listeners, so anything you can do in that regard, uh, I can't stress this enough. To get featured on iTunes, to get more listeners, to get more people listening to the show, and, and helping us make a better episode... We really need iTunes reviews. Even just going on there and throwing some stars up, or if you want to write a review, that's even better. But uh, really, really, really will help out the show. We also want to continue to give a shout-out to reddit.com slash r slash animorphs. Uh, that community is starting to get pretty strong. It's uh, it's livening up, and everybody's uh, having some good discussions on animorphs on there. So definitely want to see you on there. Yeah, I would love to read some more comments. Yeah, thanks again, everybody, and uh, we will see you next week. Goodbye.